How to show up with Coca-Cola energy. You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it! Every time you cancel on a friend, a unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive! Show up every day with Coca-Cola energy. Energy you want, taste you love. We are back, Dr. Wendy L. Patrick, criminal law attorney and a career criminal law attorney who has authored a chapter in the Encyclopedia of Race and Racism and Hate Crimes, Causes, Controls, and Controversies is our guest. Dr. Patrick, thank you for rejoining us. Good to have you back on the show. Thank you for having me. <laughs> uh, please, uh, please correct me if I'm wrong. It seems that what they're saying is the Supreme Court made a decision more to the state of mind than the First Amendment and freedom of our speech online. Is that correct? Well, it, it is. what they did, basically, is they analyzed the First Amendment in this particular case. To be a threat has to include the state of mind. So they did analyze both. And eight out of nine justices came down on the side of, we need some kind of criminal intent. And Leslie, this is going to have far-reaching consequences, because everyone was watching this case. To, because a lot of people, unfortunately, have been the victim of threats online. And we're worried that, you know, what level of intent is going to be necessary before this kind of thing can be prosecuted. So they did. They analyzed both freedom of speech and mental intent because the threat statute requires that it, you know, it can't have been an accident. Has to have been some level of criminal intent that would be taken as a threat. You know, I, my understanding, uh, Dr. Patrick, is that the First Amendment is clear uh, regarding our freedom of speech and how far that goes. And uh, to simplify it, you can't yell fire in a crowded theater and then, you know, cite the First Amendment as covering your behind uh, for doing so. You, <laughs> and, and you can't incite a riot. Now, maybe there was no riot incited, but you're threatening uh, the life and limb of another individual, which, hey, last time I checked with my attorneys, if people threaten me in that manner, it's illegal if they do. You know, if they send me an email or a letter stating they're going they want to kill me or my family members and it's been done before and we and we have a legal leg to stand on. So if they just, you know, threaten to kill me and my family on Facebook, they're good to go. No, no. And that, that's what has a lot of people um, wondering and worried. So I'm glad we're talking about this. They found it didn't qualify as a threat because threats are not protected by the First Amendment. Nobody can threaten you or your family members directly or indirectly. But so wait, forgive me. Sorry, sorry to interrupt, Dr. Patrick, but he said he wanted to kill her. <laughs> How can that right. not, not no, be a direct threat? Well, that has to be something that they have to find the requisite level that he wanted her to take it that way. That was the basis of the opinion is he has to, in other words, you can look at his words. And remember, he also tried to say, oh, it's poetry, it's cathartic, yet all these other supposed intents. But they've got to be able to prove it qualifies legally as a threat. And here's the tricky thing about the threat statutes, both, both state and federal. You've really got to meet a lot more elements than the regular person thinks that you do. In other words, a lot of what you and I might be totally freaked out by, and, and this man's wife was completely threatened. She felt she was stopped, and that's what she testified to. It's still that you've got to meet all the elements legally, and that is the issue that the Supreme Court was grappling with. Not wouldn't most of us be threatened or would even a reasonable person be threatened. We would, but they've got to prove that requisite level of intent. And when you've got ambiguous statements, he's not the first defendant to come back and say, oh, I was just blowing off steam. I was just 
kidding. I didn't intend this. I didn't intend that. That's what, I mean, I've been struggling with this statute for years because you really got to make sure you prove all of the elements. So that was the basis of the Supreme Court's analysis. And you're right. It's a scary decision for the, the regular person who is now worried that, you know, bullies might be emboldened by a ruling like this. And we sure hope that doesn't happen. Um, but that really was the crux of the court's decision in this case. But he also fantasized uh, about killing an FBI agent and talked about that. He talked about specifically, quote, pull my knife, flick my wrist, and slit her throat, he wrote. Isn't it against the law to threaten a, a federal officer? All of that conduct is against the law. What the court was saying is, what did his actions qualify as a threat? You can't threaten anybody. Remember, he also talked about a school shooting. I mean, it was like one thing after another, and that is one of the reasons. But, but here, but so- Dr. Patrick, the problem is we don't even the court, you and I, even you know whether you're a psychologist, a lawyer, you know, a Supreme Court member, talk show host, or D, all of the above. You, at the end of the day, because we don't have a crystal ball, because we don't have the gift of clairvoyance, any of us, we don't really know if he's just blowing off steam because he's pissed off or if quite frankly he's gonna you know he's gonna go to a school and kill people and and if in a month or two he does kill his his wife who left him rightly so uh an fbi officer or children in a school what then of this ruling yeah what then that's what has all of us afraid when you look at a ruling like this and you know that kind of thing as you and i both know happens all the time in fact one of the reasons threats scare us as much as they do is you think What's somebody going to do in the future? Well, what do they say they're going to do? What do they threaten that they're going to do? And what the court is basically saying is even under circumstances where there are some comments made, they've just got to make sure it is all argued and fits under exactly the way the law is phrased. Now, having said that, let me leave you with another troubling aspect of the ruling in a lot of people's minds. Um, And this, of course, one of the points that was brought up by the lone dissenter Clarence Thomas was, well, what about recklessness? And that goes to a lot of the examples you and I are discussing. You just can't say anything and think, well, hopefully somebody won't take it as a threat because people do take these things as threats. That issue, in other words, is mere recklessness enough that somebody might take it as a threat, that was not discussed in detail by the court. So one of the the criticisms the court is having right about now is that their ruling doesn't provide sufficient guidance to what will and won't qualify as a threat. So you're right to be concerned. I'm concerned as well. And we're going to have to wait and see how this ruling impacts criminal behavior, number one. We don't want to find that out in hindsight. That's the worst way to find it out. But we also are now going to look at how other courts are going to interpret this. Because this, again, is something that, you know, it's not that they're saying threats aren't covered. They're basically saying you've got to have the right amount of intent, more than you and I think should be there, that's for sure in order to meet that federal standard that this man was prosecuted under. Okay, but, but here's another thing. If, if he, How does a Supreme Court member, being that they were lawyers and judges and now Supreme Court judges, how do they know that person's state of mind? Well, that's what they at that exact time. I mean, at that, it's not like he was hooked up to some kind of a monitor and had some kind of, right. you know, psychologist, therapist and psychiatrist, you know, making an assessment. It's circumstantial evidence. It is so hard. It is all circumstantial evidence. And they look at the same kind of things you would look at, right? You're a, you're a famous media personality. You must get, your inbox must be full of email from fans. How do you know when that one 
fanatical uh, subscriber, that one fanatical follower, how do you know what's in his mind, his or her mind, I don't want to, don't want to stereotype, when they send you something that stands your hair on end? You are freaked out by what you see. How do you know? What the, the way you do it is you've got to look at the circumstances. Now, you and I have discussed a lot of circumstances that sure make it look like a threat. <laughs> But there's got to be also that it be intended as a threat and not as, you know, a joke or an insult or something other than that standard that would make it threatening behavior. That's what's so hard about cases like this. And frankly, that's why this particular case has gotten so much play, because we can point to things that he did, things that he said, things that he admitted that sure made it look like it was a threat. But then again, you've got the other hand, you know, the other things he's saying about this is just rap lyrics, it's poetry, there's nothing threatening about it. That's the analysis that any reviewing court, or any lawyer for that matter, any prosecutor deciding whether or not to charge a case, they're going to have to look at all of that to decide, as you say, what was in this guy's mind when he made the, these threats, because in this case we're, we're looking at a, a couple of them that he made that were very serious. Right, but if he blows her away, Dr. Patrick, then the Supreme Court, what, what are they going to say? Oh, I, I guess, you know. I guess, guess we, we made a mistake. And, and let me ask a dumb question. Let me ask a really, really dumb question. <laughs> if this were, if he were threatening me, for example, and then he killed me, and could my family sue the Supreme Court for making a ruling based on his state of mind when they were wrong? No, you know, judges and lawyers have um, have, qualified, have immunity, absolute immunity when they're making decisions like this. But that certainly is something on everyone's mind. And that is one of the, the reasons that the court cannot be political. As you can imagine, you know, they knew what the, the public outcry was going to be at their decision. They knew. In the same way that, you know, elected prosecutors, they know what the ramifications are going to be in the court of public opinion. But they sit in a court of law. And their job is to interpret the laws, not to to, you know, to wonder or guess or even worry about what a ruling, what effect it might have down the line, because their sole, their sole job is to look at the laws on the books and then decide whether or not conduct falls within those provisions. So they can't be sued. But, you know, they're human beings, and I, you can imagine that they're not always happy with the rulings they have to make. But that's why they have those very important jobs, is they've got to analyze fact patterns under the particular elements that need to be proven. Sometimes we agree with their analysis. Sometimes Sometimes we don't, but we trust them to do that, and we, we trust they did that in this case. It wasn't unanimous, but eight out of the nine came down on, on the side that has, has people like you and I worried. You're absolutely right. Okay, let's take some calls, and uh, let's see who's up first. We go to Michael in the Bronx, line five. Michael, question or comment for Dr. Patrick. Hello, ladies, and I share the same concerns with both of you, and I am very fearful, and I am pretty much outraged at what the Supreme Court did because, as far as I'm concerned, it's not what threats or what was said, but rather who's saying it, the identity of the offender or the identity of the victim that apparently is being the basis on whether or not um, this, whether or not such a case or such a decision is made one way or the other. Because I'm telling you right now, we've had cases here in New York City. We had a situation where two rival DJs, um, one threatened the other and threatened his family over the air. He was arrested and convicted on the spot. And these people say that you cannot make on-air threats. And, you know, his conviction stands right now. Meanwhile, 
Let's go back to um, the Sarah Palin situation with Gabby Giffords when she had the crosshair target maps and each of those targets listed Gabby Giffords and other Democratic senators that voted in favor of Obamacare. And she said, and I quote, these are the people you must take out. She made that kind of a threat, which a lot of people perceived as a threat. And then uh, months later, Gabby Giffords is nearly assassinated by some crazy freak with a gun and who was um, who said to have been following the website. The thing is that right after Gabby Giffords was shot, that website was taken down, and um, Palin has still been held unaccountable. What I'm seeing here, ladies, is a pattern, which is if a right-winger makes a threat towards a liberal or a Democrat, then it's free speech. You can't do anything about it. But the tables are turned, your butt is arrested and held, um, remanded without bail and convicted. I think that's what's happening here because I'm seeing a pattern here. We have it here in New York City where cops can turn around and curse and threaten a civilian, but then you turn around and um, threaten a cop in the same way or curse at him. Now you're arrested for making a threat and um, held on charges of including disorderly conduct. Do you see what's happening here? Yeah, you know, you make an excellent point, and you've got to look at the identity of who's making the threat. And that's one of the things that we do when we analyze circumstantial and evidence. Who's the victim, too? The identity of the victim. I'm sorry. Absolutely. No, no, absolutely. You know, both are important, as you point out. And that's part of the circumstances that anybody looks at. Threats in general, right? You get some language that might be threatening, because I'll give you the example of, you know, maybe they're using code words that mean something special to a particular victim or to a particular segment of society that other people wouldn't understand. All of that, as you point out, is enormously relevant because it's only in context that we have to make the analysis of does this qualify under whatever applicable law governs, does it qualify as a threat? Words matter, true, but it also matters who says them and who is the recipient. That's a great point that you make. You've got to look at all of that in every case on its own specifics to decide whether, in fact, that qualifies as a threat. All right. Anything uh, else, Michael? That's it? Hello? Uh, uh, yeah, Mike. And, and just mind you that the person that's making the threat doesn't necessarily have to carry out the threat, especially if it's made on public airways. It's, it's someone, if person number two decides Let me to carry you, Michael, it out. again, they're very, very different to make a threat on television or on radio versus online. Remember, the Internet is an unregulated uh, area of our lives. Uh, thank you for the call. Reggie in Georgia, line two. Quickly, question or comment for Dr. Patrick. Reggie? Yes. As Michael once said, or just said previously, what if this guy was mentally psychotic and was actually planning on it and intending on carrying out the threat that he wrote online? And, you know, like you, and he gets arrested. And like you said, can the family sue him in court for, you know, this guy murdering, uh, murdering this, this woman that he's at his selective target that he went after, that he was threatening? And, uh, well, you can't. Well, you can't sue the Supreme Court, but you, you, make an, uh, you make the point that a lot of us are grappling with is we worry. We worry that, you know, a court's going to get it wrong, that, you know, somebody who is in charge of monitoring this person's behavior is going to get it wrong. We worry every time a restraining order that we think should be issued isn't. So we worry about all of this. And you bring up the excellent point of state of mind and whether somebody is, is grappling with mental illness, because that's another thing. 
that plays into this equation as does it qualify as a threat. You can't get into somebody's head, so that's another reason why we want to look at their background. We want to look at, you know, social media is a treasure trove of information that Reggie might help us to find some of the background information you bring up. Is he psychotic? Is this somebody that threatens everybody? Or is this type of a threat really something that he intends on carrying it out? And you bet that the family members, as you say, that would want to sue if things go wrong, they're often more scared and terrified for the victim than the victim is. So this is a, an area that really has all of us worried in an age where we, we see violence on the news every day. Mm -hmm. um, but it's an excellent point that you make. Yeah, Reggie, thank you for the call. Very uh, quickly, Dr. Patrick, less than 60 seconds. Is there a word or phrase that would have changed the intent and the outcome uh, regarding the Supreme Court decision? It never really comes down to one factor. It, they really have to look at everything in combination and not in isolation. So, I mean, you can imagine if there had been some kind of an admission or a confession to a third party, that's a, that, or somebody was, you know, somebody overheard this guy or, or, you know, plotting and planning. In other words, more the, things that would make it more likely that there was sufficient evidence for the court to find what they needed to find that in fact it qualifies as a threat but what that what that additional evidence would have been is one of those things that you know varies case to case we always wish that they find it when we're worried for somebody's life as in a case like this but it's hard to say because every case is different it's hard to say what would have changed the court's mind in this particular case Dr. Patrick, Wendy, you know, you're, I, I love you. You rock. We'll have you on again soon. Oh, at, thanks for having me. Thank you. At Wendy Patrick, Ph.D. is her Twitter handle. Follow her there. Her website is wendypatrickphd.com. This is no ordinary sub shop. This is Firehouse Subs. Welcome to Firehouse. Tired of overpriced lunches that underdeliver on flavor? Head to Firehouse Subs, where for a limited time, you can get a $4.99 choice sub. Choose from a medium smoked turkey, Virginia honey ham, or roast beef. They're custom-made hot subs at a price ready-made to make you smile. Just $4.99, only at Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs, save more lives. Participating locations plus tax, limited time offer, prices may vary for delivery. How to show up with Coca-Cola energy. You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it! Every time you cancel on a friend, a unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola Energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive! Show up every day with Coca-Cola Energy. Energy you want, taste you love.